0: Well, welcome everybody and thank you for joining us today and thank you to the Boston Bar Association for hosting us today. Uh, My name is James Topping and I am a client executive with um, Esquire Deposition Solutions here in Boston. Uh, Joining me and kicking off the presentation today is Avi Stadler. I'll let Avi introduce himself to everybody.
1: Everybody, my name is Avi Stadler. I'm the general counsel of Esquire. Um, prior to joining Esquire, I was a litigator in private practice for 16 years, and before that, clerk for a federal district court judge. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where Esquire's headquarters are, and uh, I'm delighted to be able to speak with you today about these uh, interesting topics. So today we're gonna talk about uh, looking back at what was an unprecedented year. I know you've all thought about this a lot, or I have been thinking about it a lot certainly um, as we are becoming more vaccinated as things are going uh, back to some level of normalcy. Uh, We'll talk about what's going on in Massachusetts in terms of the, the Supreme Court's order. Uh, We'll talk about some key trends in law firms uh, and law firm management, as well as remote proceedings and litigating in this new crazy time we're in. Um, We'll talk about the lasting impact that's resulted from the technological changes and and people getting more comfortable with technology and litigators uh, understanding that now they have a new arrow in their quiver, which is to take depositions and other proceedings remotely. We'll talk about some great resources um, that are available to you uh, to take away with, and then I'll give you a, kind of my last word. So 2020, uh, we all have been uh, living it, but it will be a year that will forever be defined by tragedy and loss, uh, over 500,000 people dead and businesses um, shut down, uh, and just a crazy, crazy, tumultuous time for all of us. For us in the legal profession, it was a year, though, that showed us resilience and acceleration. We'll talk about that. But basically, lawyers have learned to adapt, uh, and it's been an interesting and fascinating ride over the last 12 months. It's really forced lawyers to change how they work, uh, and some of that change was going to be here forever. uh, And I think that there's going to be a lasting difference in how law firms and lawyers participate in the legal process, how they run their business and how flexible they are in how you doing things. And I think that will ultimately be a benefit to your clients. Um, and, and really 2020 has shown a spotlight on opportunities for firms and lawyers to strengthen their financial performance and evolve their models for the future. And we'll look at some of that information as we go forward. So let's first start in the great state of Massachusetts. I did confirm that I'm sure everyone on this call is going to be very excited that the Red Sox uh, opening day is in a couple days. Um, and uh, I know I'm a Braves fan. Uh, I'm very excited about the Braves season as well. So on May 26, 2020, uh, a couple months into the pandemic, the Massachusetts Supreme Court stepped in and entered an order that permitted and encouraged um, people and litigators and lawyers and clients to take steps to move cases forward by doing remote depositions. Um, Massachusetts is not alone. Uh, Most states entered into an order just like one. But there were a couple of things that I think were really interesting Most rules of civil procedure, uh, the state rules and the federal rules did permit some level of remote depositions. There were some issues with regard to remote oath giving um, and that's been sticky in a number of states. But like I said, most, most Supreme Courts in those states stepped in and relaxed the necessity of the oath being given in person and Massachusetts was no different. What was interesting is that the Massachusetts order, which is still in, in, in effect right now, um, there is no stipulation needed. You just have to put it in the notice that the deposition will be handled remotely. Um, that is again, different in different states. So if you're practicing in multiple states, you'll wanna make sure you understand that. Um, some require consent, um, you know. so you wanna make sure you understand, but, but Massachusetts in the spirit of encouraging and, and keeping everyone safe, Uh, held that there's no stip order that there's no stipulation needed. Um, It also said, and this is very interesting, that a simple desire by a party to appear in person is not good cause to quash remote deposition. And that theme, that that particular theme is in this order, but it's also a theme that you'll see in cases that have been decided in the last year, that courts are unlikely and not only unlikely, they do not and will not allow Uh, parties to delay depositions or to quash them just because someone prefers to be in person. The notice must include information to allow everyone to understand how to participate so it has to have the zoom information if you're doing it by zoom or by some other means. Um, When you get on the record, the order requires all parties to identify themselves for the record. Again um it's a it's it's something that's not in very many of these orders but it it's helpful because it sets the ground rules for how everyone should participate in a remote deposition and then this which i think is a very good point is it requires the parties to confer and cooperate on all aspects so it rises it it raises up the level professionalism that everybody uh, has to have, that everyone needs to cooperate and work together to make sure that all aspects of the remote deposition go smoothly. That includes uh, witness participation, no coaching of witnesses, and other things we'll talk about later. So the Massachusetts order is a very, very good one. Um, there's, there are ones throughout the country that are not as detailed. This is a very good order. Sorry. Um, The other thing that's going on in Massachusetts is that phase two jury trials uh, began on March 1st, 2021, meaning that now we're having some jury trials. So the courts are beginning to open and and there is a massive backlog all through the country. And that if you read these orders and you read the articles about uh, about this topic, judges are consistently and constantly talking about the backlog and they're concerned, and litigants are concerned. So cases have begun. Uh, both criminal and civil cases are eligible for jury trials in phase two, although jury trials uh, in criminal cases will be given priority, which of course makes sense, and particularly those in which the defendant is in custody. We took a look at what what does the docket look like in uh, in Massachusetts, and so we did some research, and and we saw that, interestingly enough, the the new Matter creation is returning to normal. You can't really see it on this chart, but we compared it to last year. I mean, to 2019, and those the dockets and the, the new case filings are approaching uh, normal levels. So that's a good sign for the industry and a good sign for litigators that things are moving forward. All right, let's take a let's let's now take a, a tour of the law firm and kind of what's going on in the world of law firms, and we're talking about the impact of COVID. Um, what are the good things? Well, one, one good thing is technology adoption. Um, the, the, the adoption of technology within law firms is allowing more flexibility to lawyers to work in different ways. Um, you know, law firms traditionally, especially the big ones, at least back in my day when I was at a big law firm. Did not really encourage or permit uh, a lot of remote working, and, uh, and you know there was this value of being in the office and being seen, and FaceTime was very important, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the the, the pandemic has really forced uh, law firms to change their mind and to really allow for flexibility. In fact, require flexibility as most law firms were shut down. What what has happened with that is the profitability profitability of law firms has gone up significantly, a uh, almost ten percent growth. Uh, compared to four percent in 2019 and a lot of that is you know the cutting of extraneous spending i mean on real estate on client entertainment on uh, meals on uh, you know travel you um, you know all of that stuff's been cut making it more profitable and also law firms took the opportunity in 2020 to right size in a lot of ways um to um really work on their staff to um staff to attorney ratios uh, make sure that they were spending money wisely and, you know, especially early in the pandemic, and I can say the same thing for companies around the world like Esquire, you know, every, we, we wanted, everyone treated every dollar that was coming in like a manhole cover. I mean, they did not want to let go of any dollars. So they really scrutinized spending very, very carefully. And the result of that was uh, profitability going up because what ended up happening is demand for lawyer work. Was still extremely high. And because lawyers quickly learned that they could continue practicing and continue moving cases forward with technology like remote depositions, remote hearings, or remote closings for MA lawyers and, and, and the like, you know, they were still generating demand and, and, and billing hours, but they weren't spending the money on the cost side. So that's been a great opportunity for law law firms. On the on the other side of the equation, the concerns, and, and a lot of these are, are intuitive, but law firm culture is hard. It it takes a lot of work to maintain culture where everyone's remote. I mean, you have to go out of your way to schedule time to meet with folks, to have Zoom calls, to have collaborative sessions. Whereas in the past, when you were in your law firm, and you're walking down the hall, um, and you ran into a partner that you hadn't seen in a while, and you asked them what was going on, and it turns out they had a matter that maybe you could do, and you know it was it was just an organic way to generate business um, that doesn't exist, and and the mentoring that is that is necessary from a, a partner to an associate, the one-on-one time, the 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 how to behave, how to act, uh, sort of stuff isn't happening, and I think that that's a that's a downside to this new world. That said, the ability for folks to be able to work from home, to be flexible, I think will take a lot of pressure and has taken a lot of pressure off of individual associates, and others uh, with regard to, um, you know, childcare with regard to, um, you know, being in the office the commute time and people are realizing how much more efficient they could be. So at some point we're going to come back to some level of balance but as I said in the beginning, I think we are in a place where this type of flexible workspace and work working is going to be a lasting result of the coronavirus. We're already, we already saw that in a lot of other professional services arenas, the accounting world, the consulting world, doing a lot of hoteling and alternative office space work. I think we're gonna see more and more of that from, from the law firms. And then there is some concern about the speed of revenue recovery. While on one side you had a cost cutting and savings on the expense side, will the revenue keep up? And, and the data that we're seeing from Wells Fargo, uh, private bank legal specialty group, is that there is some concern that the revenue growth um, is declining. That in, in 2019, it was 4.6, 2020 it was 3.2, and they're predicting a 3.5 this year. So there's some concern about that. Um, and that there is some concern that the demand for work uh, is, is in decri- decline. So those are some trends that we're seeing in the literature uh, to, to look at. The other thing that I think law firms need to really think about and lawyers need to think about is uh, security. And you, you probably have heard a lot about that. It's, it's a hot topic. I know this personally because we're actually going through uh, our insurance renewal right now. And our insurance company is telling us uh, and sending us data and information about the, the ramp in cyber attacks that's going on, the phishing expeditions and all that good stuff. Um, But coronavirus is a huge threat to the global security of your law firm and your law practice. And that's because people are at home. People are working through the computers even more so than they ever did. Um, There's been a five-fold increase in cyber attacks this year. Uh, The FBI's cyber division receives 4,000 complaints a day, which is a 400% increase from prior to the coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic. Um, COVID-specific phishing attacks um, have jumped to between 20 and 30,000 a day. Uh, we see them all the time. And we do training at our our company where we have to be all of us, every person at the company is trained on security issues. Um, and we see examples of these phishing attacks, and they're clever and they're smart and they get people. Um and so it's something to really be concerned about. Um, and ransomware attacks, which are which is which is really, really dangerous because that takes all the data and, and holds it ransom until you've paid it ransom, are up 80%. So security the security threats due to coronavirus and people working from home and people having more time on their hands i guess to come up with these terrible ideas on how to how to steal people's money uh has really really a big threat for law firms and then and then f- The other thing to think about, again, what what will the law firm office look like post pandemic? And this is really the same thing that all businesses are struggling with now um, as the vaccination rates are going higher, as we're getting closer and closer to a herd immunity, uh, where people are more comfortable uh, and, and maybe more safe to get together in person. What's the law firm office? Going to look like, um, and and we think that too at Esquire. I mean, we we are constantly evaluating what is what is our company going to look like, and, and every company is really thinking about this. When is it going to be realis- realistic to to return to the office? When is that going to be safe? It's it. I've talked to a bunch of a bunch of friends who are partners at various firms all over the country, and, and we're starting to see some voluntary trickling in. I know EY just just allowed 10% of their uh, folks to come back into their office. So you're going to see more and more trickling in and how that's going to impact. How can the the law firm continue to preserve that culture we talked about um, and ties to their clients as social distancing continues past one year? What is it, What does it look like to have uh, client connection uh, and, and collegial connection in this world, and I think again, like I said earlier, it takes a lot of very intentional thought and work to make sure that you continue to do those things to make sure you're connected with your clients uh, and with your colleagues. Um, you know, and you're seeing lots of clever ways. I mean, we we saw. Uh, I've heard of law firms um, sending you know, like a pre-made drink kit and having a happy hour with their with their clients. Um, as opposed to taking them out to a bar, even sending lunch and having a lunch virtually with some some fun lunch or a cooking situation. So there's lots of ways to do it, but how are you going to keep doing it? And when is that going to relax and allow people to, to actually go back to normal? And will law firms want to be spending? Now that they've seen that you can maintain some level of revenue without that spending, what will that look like afterwards? And then ultimately, what will it look like when it's safe to return? I mean, my per, my prediction, um, and I don't think this is revolutionary in any way, shape, or form, is it's going to be some balance. I think that there are going to be a lot of people who maintain a work-from-home or at least a partial work-from-home uh, situation. And I think as schools uh, start and child care starts opening back up and, and folks are, are have not having to do the dual job of teaching their kids and working at the same time, I think this is a very... Big boon to the law firms. I mean, the struggle has always been, um, particularly uh, for female or primary caregiver uh, lawyers, how they can maintain that quote work-life balance, which we all know is impossible. Um, being able to be more flexible, work from home, and seeing that you can be as productive from home allows you to be more connected. I know that that me personally. Um, Being able to work from home allows me to be closer, to do more parenting than I ever did when I was in the law firm. I have a six-year-old and I also have a a 21 and an 18-year-old. And being able to be here at home so that I can pick her up from school uh, and I could be here to to interact with her is very different now than it was when I was raising a six year old, you know, uh, over a decade ago. So I think that is a very positive thing for law firms and and a very positive change that I think will continue on. The other piece of that is the 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 not requiring travel to do things like take depositions or uh, do a closing or a mediation or an arbitration. If you can do those remotely from home. Uh, Or from, you know, you don't have to travel, you're spending more quality time with your family and and hopefully ease some of that burden of that impossible work life balance. How will law firms or how did law firms and how will they going forward sustain their profit levels? Again, remote work is going to be a big one, Um, have less real estate downsizing. We're starting to see articles. We've been seeing articles in the legal newspapers about law firms giving up space and reducing their footprint. Um, The concept of hoteling, which has been a concept that a lot of, uh, of service firms have been using. Where instead of assigning offices, you just have offices there, and people come and work when they want to, and they don't, and then they leave, and it and allows more flexibility. Uh, the administrative ratios, um, like I said earlier, the the pandemic has permitted or has been a used by the by law firms to cut staff and to really right size their organizations. Um, the slashing of business development budgets. I mean, there was no, you know, you didn't need to have a box at the garden right? Uh, to entertain your clients in COVID. And will that come back? Will will, will they do that again, the law firms um, and the remote meetings, instead of having a big retreat where you have all of your lawyers get together and you spend a bunch of money doing that? Um, will this be done remote? Will at least portion of, portion of that be done remotely? And then I think clients are in the same boat as, as law firms. I mean, I know at Esquire, right? I have this, this Cool job where I'm I'm at a private company, right? But we're in the legal space. And so we're tied to the legal world. But I we have those same, same issues. Like the 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 clients like me, when I when I am hiring a lawyer, right? I want to make sure that the services that I get are um tailored to what I need. And, and you're gonna see more and more pressure being put on by clients to do things in a more efficient and a cheaper way, like doing remote depositions, remote closings, remote, whatever it is. Um, and, and that is going to continue going forward. And it's going to be some, it's going to be a, a, a discussion that you're going to actually have with your clients now. Whereas in the past, it was sort of a hypothetical thought process. All right, remote, what's going on in the world of remote? Proceedings. Um, it, it was a seismic change in the in the court systems, um, and you'll see some of the data that I'll show you later about Esquire's jobs. But you went from basically virtually no remote things happening to now ninety some odd percent of remote proceedings happening. All all of the court thirteen federal appeals courts now do live streaming, um, up from four before the pandemic. The Supreme Court of the United States broadcasts its oral arguments via live audio. That picture you're seeing is an Illinois Supreme Court case. You know, again, all being done. For those of you who follow the Supreme Court like I do, you see the the the, the guy who does the the court drawings is now doing cool drawings of people in their homes or in their offices instead of in the court. It's it's really really funny, uh, but that's where we are now. Um, when you're thinking about trials happening virtually, and we have seen trials happening virtually. And, and as we just said, that Massachusetts is now opening up for the for the in-person trials, but before that, courts all over the country were doing Zoom trials. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was very successful. And a lot of judges that I've talked to and have heard from have been very, very positive about it. Um, because it it, it sort of removed this sort of drama of the trial in some ways, and the showmanship. And people just kind of got to work um, and focused, and you could get the jurors to focus a lot better, interestingly enough. Um, what I've heard is that you know judge some some very smart judges have cut their 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 to two hour blocks where they'll have the jury in for two hours, then give them a break, another two hours, so they can remain focused on what's going on. Um, virtually uh, virtually scheduling witnesses is a lot easier. Uh, Because you don't have travel time and you don't have conflicts and you don't have other things so it's it's a very more it is a more efficient way of doing things. Um, And and it is less intimidating than a courtroom environment, which is good and bad right I mean that that is a negative, on the other hand, people aren't taking it as seriously people show up. uh, unprepared people aren't paying attention entirely the way they should Um, you may not have your witnesses laser focused as you'd like them, but. Um, you know there is a way of cutting to the chase and getting to the getting to a more efficient trial, and I think virtual trials allowed you to do that and allow you to do that. Um, there are limitations. I mean, you, don't, you there is a confrontation clause issue, uh, Sixth Amendment issue. The CARES Act, Act, interestingly enough, temporary loosened restrictions on using video in criminal cases in federal courts, kind of in homage to the the, to the confrontation issues. Um, You you don't have the solemn court experience uh, that the limits bad behaviors Uh, remote interaction does undercut the intimacy the kind of you're there in the in the trenches. feeling sorry froze up for there for a second uh, that is another problem with remote trials is that you sometimes freeze up when your technology doesn't work so that was a good demonstration I'm glad i planned that um and then voir deer is very challenging uh remotely and especially can you really have a cross-section of the community when you have people who don't have internet and don't have access to technology so those are all challenges but i think ones that 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 various trial courts have been uh addressing and and using the the thing about it is, is that these are here to stay though. I think that going forward, courts are investing the money now in remote technology. They're seeing the efficiency on doing these hearings at a minimum and the motion hearings, you know, this way. And I think that's here to stay. I think most judges who I, who I again, I've read about and I've talked to have said, we like this and we like that ability. I even, I sat on a panel with a magistrate judge out in San Diego who loves it, who loves Zoom because she actually tells her litigants on on in depositions that are going to be contentious she, she asks for the Zoom information. And if there is an issue in the deposition, she will actually pop on to the deposition in the Zoom and rule immediately on any issues. And she says, it's amazing. It's the greatest, uh, it's the greatest way to get lawyers to behave. So I do think these tools are now available to judges and some judges will be wanting to do that. And I think to relieve the, ban- the, the pandemic backlog, these tools are gonna be used to get cases and hearings and arguments resolved um so we're going to continue to see that um and and that's really what this slide talks about as well i i think fully remote trials are not likely going to stay i think if you had a bench trial that was a quick bench trial you could probably you probably would do it i think once trials open up you're going to go back to trials but i do think for motion hearings and these like stacked you know, hearings that that I went you know when you used to go to the calendar call and you have to wait and wait and wait until your count your case gets called, it's much more efficient to do that via Zoom, and I think it's going to continue uh, continue to do it um, the one channel, one of the challenges is this software that's being used. Um, There really is, and this will be a constant theme that you're gonna hear me talk about for the rest of the presentation, there really needs to be a a development of industry-specific purpose-built software. Uh, for the long term. So purpose-built trial and hearing software, where you can, you're not bolting together. What we're doing right now, right, is Zoom, right? Zoom, and I'm sharing documents, and this is the way that a lot of people do depositions, and I, it's a perfectly fine way to do depositions. You have a Zoom, and you put in, you put in uh Evidence and you do, I mean, exhibits and you do it just like this by sharing it or you email it in advance. All fine, right? But I think that as this becomes more popular, doing it this way, and and you'll see some numbers later about how we think it is going to be done this way, having a purpose built solution that 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 is built specifically for depositions or specifically for trials or specifically for arbitrations, where you can. Uh, You can replicate the feel of an in-person deposition through the software by having exhibits, an exhibit process where you upload exhibits into a repository. When you're ready to use the exhibit, you show it on the screen, you mark it with the stamp that looks like the stamp that you're you're using. People can annotate, the witness can annotate if necessary, and all these other things that are available in a purpose-built software, all in one thing. So you're not using Zoom and some other technology or three different technologies at once. That's what that's what's needed in the court system to make things go smoothly, um, and I think that's what's going to be needed in the deposition space as well. And we're starting to see that develop, and we're starting to see some of that software come out because there is a true need for it now, and a demand enough people want it that you're going to see it happening. Um, courts are having to; some judges are buying their own software or licenses to get to get this stuff done. But you've got you're going to have to see courts invest some money in this to keep it going, um, and of course with. Budgets and all that stuff. It, it you know it, it's going to be hard to do, and, and we'll see if it happens. All right, let's talk about remote proceedings, and uh, we'll start with remote alternative dispute resolution. Um, I, this is an area because you know the whole concept of, of dispute resolution, and I spent most of my career doing arbitration, so uh, that was that was the bulk of my career. I mean, the purpose of doing arbitration purportedly is is a cheaper method to resolve disputes. And so it's a perfect place to drop in uh, virtual uh, proceedings. Um, It's especially good, obviously, where people are geographically dispersed. I think it's it's obviously gonna be cheaper, um, especially if you get a purpose-built software where you're doing all of the exhibits remotely, as well as doing, you're doing the exhibits remotely all in one process so that you're not printing out a bunch of paper shipping it places or emailing a bunch of things in advance. Having it all in one place and being able to share it virtually just like you would around the room is going to be cheaper and, and easier and, and really a good way of doing it. And I do think, um, it's an interesting point, the, the articles and, and the literature that's been out on this subject is that doing things virtually actually promotes civility in a way that being in person does not. And I think we've all, you know, if, if you're a litigator and you've been in trial or an arbitration where you're all in the same room and you get your competitive juices flowing and you want to win and, and you, you know, you have look, you're glaring at the other side and you're, you know, really, really competitive being outside of that, where you're maybe in the comfort of your home home and you're, you're, you know, working remotely, you're not in there. Maybe, maybe that makes things a little more civil. Um, it would be nice, I think, uh, for that to come from all of this. There's interesting data on mediation. So mediation to me is a perfect, um, it, it's a perfect vehicle for remote you know, proceeding. Um, and that's because, you know, we've all been at mediations where it's a lot of hurry up and wait, right? You're sitting there, most of the time you're in a mediation you're sitting and waiting for the other side to do something or for the mediator to go back and forth for a while beating you up on your case. And so doing it virtually is a is a very uh, smart thing to do. You're not wasting time. You can utilize the time in between sessions to really work that way. If the mediator is using Zoom, for instance, the the whole thing can be done with breakout rooms. So you can be sitting in your breakout room privately and just kind of preparing or doing whatever else you need to do. And it's just a very efficient, it's a very efficient um, way of doing things. And so that may make it a more conducive situation to get cases settled and for it to be efficient and successful. Uh, the, uh, the flip side of that from my experience is that being in person uh, and having the time pressure of investing the money to fly to a pl- place to sit in a room all day where you know you have one day to get this thing resolved and, and, and anybody who's done mediations known invariably the case will get settled at like seven thirty p.m. you know once everyone's exhausted and and, and beaten up enough there is something to be said about that and the time pressure of making that happen. And trying to recreate that in some way, virtually maybe more difficult, but I do think it's an interesting option and I do think it's here to stay. And I think especially for cases that are not necessarily a lot of dollars involved, getting a case mediated virtually is a good, good choice. All right, depositions, which is of course Esquire's bread and butter. Um, as I said earlier, basically every Supreme Court and every order that's come out um has basically strongly encouraged litigators to use technology to move cases along. Um and you know, we're we're a year into this now, so we all know that. Um no court, and, and that says as of November 18th, 2020, actually, as of as of this month, I have not seen a court, nor have I seen it reported on, that has actually ordered an in-person deposition over the objection of another party. Uh, Basically, courts have decided that the cases need to move forward, that lawyers are smart people and they need to figure out the technology. And if they don't know the technology, then there are plenty of places to go, like Esquire, for instance, or another court reporting firm, to really learn about how to do this. And that your requirement, and, and you're now seeing Thirty some odd states adopt this as a requirement of technical proficiency that you need to understand the technology and you need to be able to use it so that's a that's very important um i particularly like the georgia supreme court's order on this again i also love the massachusetts one but basically again this is the same theme is that the the courts are saying guys your grownups, your lawyers, your professionals, and you need to act professionally. Um, and you need to get together and you need to get your cases moving forward and you need to do it, uh, do it with whatever technology is available. And we're not going to accept any excuses for not doing that. And that's essentially, I mean, I heard the Chief Justice of the Georgia Supreme Court actually say some words to that effect to an entire group of lawyers um, in, in his professionalism seminar. And it's just—it's incredibly um, important that we—we we are required to zealously represent our clients as lawyers, but we need to do so in the context of what is going on in the world, and we need to cooperate and act—you know—act accordingly. These are some of the arguments that are in actual court decisions that people have made um, in terms of wanting to not have a remote deposition um, and to go forward, um, and we'll actually talk about those. Um, We'll talk about those in more detail in a moment. Um, We did some surveying of our clients at Esquire and we asked, okay, how many of you have conducted a remote deposition since March, 2020? And 94% uh, of the folks that we, um, we talked to Said they had. Now, if I had asked this question in 2015, when I first started talking about this concept to lawyers, 2014, when I started talking about this concept to lawyers, the answer would have been one percent. Um, so it's it's a crazy change that 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 has happened. And who knew all it took was a pandemic to to get there. This is a graphic example of just what I was saying. Um, the blue, uh, the blue, the dark blue is in person. And the uh, green is remote, and you could see that prior to in in March of 2020. Um, it was basically entirely in person. We just didn't do remote deposit, fully remote depositions, very often. And then the pandemic hit, and obviously the volumes, the volumes got real low for for a couple of months. That was fun. Uh, and then we started seeing folks get more com- comfortable with remote depositions. And now we we are basically at ninety percent remote, ten percent in person. And I. I you know the question is how how is that going to continue? So we'll see some stats on that in a little bit. But um, we're here to stay on remote. It's not going back to it's not going back to to here. Um, we asked our clients why. Uh, we we said what is the driving factor um and and the number one answer was that the needs of that particular matter necessitated the deposition in other words we 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 really needed to get this deposition done and so we did it the only way we could um interestingly uh business concerns then the need to keep Billing hours to keep your law firm practice afloat until you're generating revenue was was 16%. Growing caseload, 13%. Pressure from clients, 13%. A case that really needed to move forward, urgency, 13% or 12.89%. Uh, essential cases, uh, we do a bunch of those, You know, whether they were voting cases back in November or after, uh, or other types of cases at 10%. And then again, this caseload concept um, of 10%. So those are just some, some answers from our clients about why they were doing it. Um, and then the thing I always want to know um, when I talk to anyone, what what is it that you're worried about, about doing remote deposition? Um, what is it that scares you about it? Um, And it was interesting, the top three um, were lack of ability to be physically present with the witness to maximize effectiveness of questioning. And I kind of view that as sort of the comfort level uh, question. Like, this is the way we've always done it. I always feel good because I have a system on how I how I uh, interrogate a witness, examine a witness during a deposition, and I need to be able to do that, and I need to be able to see it, I need to be in the room, I need to be able to sense the witness's behavior, et cetera. So that was the number one. Um, the number two, which is I think a corollary to number one is to support the witness and so defending a deposition, wanting to be able to be there for the witness, hopefully not kicking them under the table and doing things you're not supposed to do um but but being there to to support the witness and then the third one and this is one we hear all the time is managing exhibits it's 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 Can be very stressful to manage exhibits while you're examining a a witness. And again, as we've said, there's not a ton, there has not been a ton of purpose-built software out there to make it really easy. So a lot of companies, and and we're certainly one of them, um, do depositions using Zoom, or WebEx and sharing like we're doing right now, which is fine. Uh, It it is a perfectly fine and good way to do things. Um, But there are, I think we will see better options for more complex cases where there's lots more more exhibits. And ultimately we will get to the point where there is a fully purpose-built software that allows you to do the video conferencing, the real-time streaming of the transcript, the exhibit sharing all in one package, so you're not managing several things at once. So uh, those are some, and you can can look at this, the other reasons, but those are the, the big ones that we see over and over again. Where do we go from here? So we talked about where we were, now where are we going? Remote depositions aren't going away. Um, we asked our clients, um, and 78% said they will continue to conduct at least half their depositions remotely. So, if you think back at that first chart, you're not going back to you know 99% in person. I do believe that going forward, you're going to have some percentage, a large percentage of remote depositions to continue. Um, and again, as clients are more comfortable with that, you're gonna you're gonna continue to see it. So. That I think is the future. The future is some percentage, maybe 60, 40 of remote to in-person depositions. Complex cases. So one of the things we heard early on in the pandemic is that complex cases or cases with lots of exhibits, et cetera, are going to be more difficult to do. And, And what's been interesting to see is sort of a change in that conversation. And the question is how can you use technology to really help you in a complex case. Um, When you have a complex case with lots of different parties doing a remote deposition, is, is a good solution because you get everybody quickly around, you, you can schedule much easier, you're keeping costs down. Uh, everybody has in their own window. And as we saw in the Massachusetts order, everyone's required in Massachusetts to identify themselves with a the window. And it's really an easy way to take a look at and handle a deposition. With a lot of documentary evidence, with exhibits, There are ways to manage that, and and James will show you one of those ways in a moment, but there's a way to, to do that that's very easy and saves a ton of money, where you already have your electronic documents, electronic discovery anyway, and all of your documents are electronic all you have to do is drag and drop them into a, a purpose uh solution or a solution that does exhibits. You drop them in and you have them available to you and you can share them and immediately submit them to the court reporter as exhibits. Um, travel is expensive and complex cases involve a lot of travel. If you're having depositions everywhere, whether it's overseas, where it's almost impossible to travel right now, it, it is complex cases using remote technology is a very good idea. Um, and having expert witnesses uh, available. Expert witnesses are notoriously very difficult to book. They're, they've got lots of schedule. They're also incredibly expensive to sit around and wait. So having a remote deposition where they're on and they're off uh, is a very, very good solution. Um, Today's remote reporting platform, and we talked about this that, that aren't particular that, that isn't purpose filled, you have the video conference platform, which is Zoom or WebEx or Microsoft Teams, or whatever you're using. You have the court reporter on board at the same time. And then you have the attorney marking, submitting, and distributing exhibits, whether that's by email or sharing it through Zoom. Uh, And that's what this presentation piece is. And then after the deposition, getting those, uh, those exhibits to the right people so that everyone has them, whether that's the court reporter, so they can be included in the deposition transcript or the opposing counsel. And one thing to keep in mind, and we talked about this earlier, Emailing exhibits that may have PII or uh, or health information is very dangerous, and and it really does cause issues with security. So. This sort of solution's fine. Again, you can do it and there are ways to overcome the security issues and to make it as easy as possible. Uh, You can have a remote person doing the exhibit sharing for you, you can upload your documents through a secure site like box.com, which is all the things that Esquire uh, does to make sure that security is, is upheld. But this is the way that it's currently looked at. I think what's next, and I'm not think, I know what's next is a remote reporting platform that combines all of these things. So it's a secure platform that does the video conferencing, the exhibit sharing. It has the record capture methodology, meaning it's doing the video, and also the the court reporters plugged into that system so that they can take down the record and you actually can get a real-time transcript as it's going. And the exhibit presentation and management is super easy. the thing that might be very attractive or that is very attractive for law firms on this is that you can get one of these platforms that a law firm can have a license to and allow the, all of their attorneys to get trained on and to get familiar with it and to use that over and over again as a part of a strategy of doing, doing depositions efficiently and cost-effectively for your client. I think it's really attractive for law firms and really attractive for ultimately clients. And you may have clients that start demanding um, that it's these these purpose built platforms that are beginning to be developed are very easy to use, um, and and James can talk a little bit about uh, about that in a minute. Um, and then for for ultimately corporate clients um, having a standard uh, service, pri- service provider platform that all of their attorneys use will be something that I think you're going to start seeing and in a way to reduce costs for them. Um, Again, we talked about this earlier, but when we've done our surveys, 51% of experienced remote attorneys still remain concerned with managing exhibits. Um, you can see here there's 15% that are extremely comfortable and some that are some, somewhat comfortable. The rest have some level of discomfort doing it. And there is stress to it. I mean, you don't know if, you know, you, you, like I did earlier, I froze up. I mean, is something going to freeze up? Am I going to have access to all my documents? I'm juggling different screens and different and different things. So it's, it is a stressful situation. Um, James, you want to talk about some yeah. options?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Avi. So, um, so going back to kind of what Avi's been outlining with um, more purpose-built technologies and and approaches to how we're adjusting, how we're handling, and one of the things, of course, that we're seeing is that waiting out this pandemic is not an option. Everybody um, either has or is on the uh, on the on the kind of horizon going to be conduct- conducting their depositions remotely. Um, so this is kind of what we at Esquire have done, and I, I'm talking about this from a, from an on-the-ground kind of perspective. Um, of course, Zoom is what everybody that, that we speak with has done before, um, has connected something remotely, where you are um, sharing your, your screen, you are introducing exhibits um, either through a file share service or through the chat, um, and you're complete and you're making your annotations or having your directing your witness to do it right there on the Zoom platform. Um, but we've actually addressed client feedback, and we've done things a little bit differently where we've added the option to include a remote technician, which essentially is somebody there to make sure that all of those um, Zoom kind of uh, use cases are done by the technician, which takes the pressure off the attorney for things like exhibit sharing. Uh, And then finally, um, that last um, thing on the right there, Agile Law is a platform um, that allows for um, a lot more and a lot easier presentation. It's really aimed to have the attorney feel like they're actually in the room um, and, and relieving, alleviating those, those concerns over remote um, deposition exhibit sharing. Uh, and things like auto stamping, converting things to PDFs, um, as well as creating private notes on the actual documents that are being introduced as exhibits are really helpful, of course, uh, for protecting that attorney work product and, and allowing the attorney to take the deposition as if they were in person. So going on to the next slide, we're going to see um, kind of building on to that Agile Log exhibit management tool. And Avi's been outlining this throughout the presentation today that um, you know we're moving to a spot where things are going to be all in one location. um, But Agile Log is is the newest solution that is out there that allows for exhibit management in a much more um, in-person feel versus. The clunkiness that some of you um, who litigate perhaps may have already experienced in terms of exhibit sharing over Zoom where you're trying to find something on your desktop. Perhaps you open up the wrong exhibit and accidentally show the wrong one or accidentally show your Amazon shopping cart. There's all sorts of things that go along with doing something in person, or I'm sorry, remotely over Zoom, where Agile Law really addresses those concerns. Um, It allows for preparation prior to where you can conduct mock depositions, Um, but it also goes to what Avi was talking about earlier today, which was the idea of mentoring uh, perhaps a newer associate in the firm or working as a team, as a litigation team and preparing and having all of your exhibits ready to go Um, and going on to what Agile Law really shines with are those larger cases where you're going to notice additional depositions um, and you're going to want to have all those exhibits all in one spot. Um, So essentially what happens is you create a case and then from from there you will create your depositions with all those exhibits in there already. Um, So it really goes back to that billable hour what are you really able to charge your clients for Um, attorneys oftentimes do these silent write offs where something um, that takes them three hours they say it only takes them an hour because they're doing a bunch of busy work and agile law is really going to address that that silent write off. so um, beyond just these uh little snippets here uh, one of the some of the features of this that really allow you to do this beyond just uploading things in advance um, i did mention before that you can have your notes viewable on each exhibit so you can essentially go from spot to spot which really gets back to if you had a piece of paper in front of you in an actual deposition being able to go to your tabs without having opposing counsel or the witness see those tabs Uh, And then on top of that, the ease of uploading allows you to upload at any time. So if you meant to upload an exhibit uh, and you do a brief pause, you can have um, somebody at the office send something over and then immediately upload it into this platform, which makes it a lot easier. Um, So going on to the next slide, um, I wanted to talk about some um, really great resources that we have, of course, my email address is right there. Uh, So for anybody that's joining us today, um, feel free to jot that down. Uh, We'll also be distributing these slides, so you'll have it that way, Um, but you can always reach out to me directly if you wanted to go over some best practices for remote depositions, whether you've done them before, or if you've never done them before, I still um, connect with attorneys in the Boston area and go over some of the best practices that we see as a company, um, based on feedback that I'm hearing from attorneys, specifically around exhibit sharing, Uh, and then we have uh, additional links there that take you to some really great um, tips. The first one being um, revolving around virtual trials, which depending on which court jurisdiction your your case is in front of, you may actually still be doing uh, remote trials in Massachusetts. Um, And then beyond that, we have some really helpful ebooks that are free downloads and are full of really, really good information on uh, playbooks for everything that you should consider before your deposition to make sure that that deposition is as close to an in person feel as possible. And then the last link is really revolving more about meetings um, and the security around Zoom, uh, the encryption that exists there. Um, And, of course, a world where data privacy is really a large concern for firms, uh, especially with the recent introduction of the GDPR. Uh, This is something that that I talk to clients a lot about, and and ensuring that that information is secure is really uh, one of the most important things. So some really great tidbits there. I really recommend Um, Anybody who uh, gets this takes a look at those or, of course, you can email me and I'd be happy to um, respond with the PDFs directly as well. Um, And that's essentially what we're hearing in the field. Um, I'm going to kick it back to Avi to kind of close things out here.
1: Thanks. Thanks, James. I want to leave everyone with kind of my last words, which are I've been talking about now for for 12 months, and i people who work with me are probably tired of hearing it. But the grace and empathy idea, and I, I do love these two paper clips. Um, you know, li- I'm, a litig- I, I'm, a, I'm a litigator at heart. Uh, I, I litigated for many years, and I am tough, and I am a hard nosed, and I want to win, and I'm competitive, and I zealously represent my, my clients, and I, I always have. Um, but it's. The, the, the thing that I keep thinking about these days is with everything that's happened with coronavirus and the pandemic, and I know that we have to zealously represent our clients, but we also need to act with professionalism and we need to act with grace and empathy, meaning you don't know uh, the witness that you are examining, whether they have a relative that just died from COVID or uh, they have a family member who's lost their job or whatever it is, that that showing a little bit of grace and empathy to everyone around you is a great gift to give to people. And it is, I guess, antithetical to some of us as uh, hard-nosed litigators. But we do have um, that and we need to remember that everyone's a human being, even that opposing counsel who drives you crazy, who you want to, you know, you want to scream at, uh, understanding that they too are human and that we do need to work together even with opposing counsel, even with a, a, a difficult witness or an opposing party. We need to work together to make this all work because the 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 whole court system, the whole system of justice, doesn't work unless you know unless we can all continue to work. And so, being flexible about doing things remotely, being flexible about you know timing, about scheduling, not trying to use uh, the pandemic as a strategy or a strategic issue to delay cases. You know, those are the sorts of things that that is that are important and that really, if you look at these court decisions that we referenced earlier, they keep talking about over and over again. And every Supreme Court order from every state that's come out has had some nod and some more um, specific than others to requiring uh, lawyers to make sure that they are cooperating. They're professional, and they work with the people around them. And, and so those are the two words I've thought about a lot through all this, is that we need to show grace, and we need to be empathetic to those around us. Uh, and so that's sort of my parting, my parting words. Um, we do have a few minutes. The Q&A button, uh, the Q&A section is QA and a feature, I should say, is activated. Um, and if anybody wanted to ask any questions, uh, we'd be happy to have them. Um, we did have a question earlier about uh, about um, exhibits and kind of the best what we what we believe uh, is the best way to to share exhibits. I know James spends a lot of time uh, working with clients and giving demos and other ways. James, what what do you what has been your favorite sort of exhibit sharing um, uh, program?
0: Yeah, um, so that really depends on the type of case. Um, Right off the bat, I would say Agile Law is pretty awesome because it allows you to do all those things like I mentioned, like marking things up. Um, But of course, if uh, in advance, if you only have a few exhibits that you're sharing, we know that not all uh, depositions are conducted equally. Um, Sometimes it may be best just to do it through Zoom. Uh, One of the things that I always recommend to my clients is to use, um, if you do have a file share option, um, we have Box.com. It is secure. It allows you to upload your documents in advance, just so you're prepared. You're not going through your computer, like I mentioned, and accidentally opening up a window that you didn't want to open up or an exhibit. It's really important to really go into your deposition with a game plan and know what you're going to introduce. Have them all in one spot where they're easily accessible. And that's what I find, Avi.
1: Yeah. And the only other thing I would say is like anything else, just you want to practice on whatever it is you're going to use. Like I, I am type A and, and, and nervous uh, about things. And so I would practice, practice, practice to make sure I understood how, if I'm going to use Zoom, understand how I'm going to use it. If I'm going to be using Agile Law, just make sure I take a trial run with it to make sure I know how to use it. I will tell you having, having used Agile Law, it is incredibly simple to use. It's three buttons and you've got an exhibit you know, submit it to everyone. So it's, it's a very easy program to use, but it's something that you do definitely want to um, want to do. The other question um, I saw was uh, about remote deposition protocols. Um, some people wanted to know what that is. Um, uh, it is a thing that you would want to do in advance of your depositions starting in a particular case where you would work with the other side to come up with basically a list of ground rules and an agreement as to how you're going to handle remote depositions in a particular uh, manner. As James said, we have some uh, some information out there uh, in an ebook form uh, on kind of what a, a deposition protocol might look like, but essentially what you're covering is uh, what what is the what are you going to use Zoom or are you going to use Agila? The, the, the method of doing it, how you're going to deal with exhibits, what's the exhibit sharing, uh, requirement that everybody uh, announce themselves and are on video for every one of the things, no cooperation or coaching, no coaching of witnesses during the deposition. There's a whole number of things to think about. The, the advantage of having a remote deposition protocol ahead of time is that you you have everything agreed on in advance and everything will go much more smoothly. And many courts are actually requiring those, if you if you um, take a look at some of the cases that have been decided, um, courts have been ordering them, and so you can find a, remote, a sample remote deposition protocols all over the place because now they're becoming very popular and uh, in, in, in use. And I think it's just a good way to to really head off any problems with with uh, your deposition. So those are the questions we have, and I think we are pretty much out of time. Um, so we we I would yeah, like appreciate. to thank everyone for taking the time to participate here. If you had, do you have any questions uh, or if you have any follow up, you feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm on the I'm easy to find on the internet or James. He has his email up right there. And uh, please feel free to reach out to us and ask any questions about anything. Or if you want James to sit with you and 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 show you different methods of of exhibit sharing or what technologies are available, I know he'd be happy to do that.
0: And also, uh, we'd like to thank again the Boston Bar for hosting us for today. Um, and like Avi said, if anybody has any questions, let, uh, feel free to reach out directly and we can uh, address those. Thank you.